The pleasure to welcome Aaron Woodrick to the program this morning. Mr. Woodrick is the National Director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Aaron is here to talk about two things, gas prices and government spending at the federal level. Aaron, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Sterling. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back, Aaron. It's been a while. Uh, two things here. Uh, by the way, just for your own files, this morning on my way to work, knowing that you and I were going to talk, I paid attention to as many gas station signs as I could. And the average price here on my 25-minute trip from my home to downtown Vancouver, Aaron, ranging between a buck seventy-one and a buck seventy-two point nine around Metro Vancouver. That's pretty average for this uh, last weekend of April. 2019 that's crazy that is uh, that is very pricey i mean here in ottawa people gripe and we're paying about a dollar 30 yeah uh, so i can only imagine uh, i can only imagine the, the how depressing it is for commuters in the vancouver area uh to be paying that much just to just to do simple things like go to work or drive your kids to soccer practice it's got to be quite frustrating absolutely now you wrote a piece in the financial post recently talking about vancouver gas prices and how we vancouver drivers are dealing with all of this coping i think would be a better word Uh, but as all of this is taking place a lot of the uh vociferous carbon tax backers have suddenly gone silent is this because reality has hit them between the eyes and they too are paying too much for their gas yeah, it's a very interesting situation, Sterling, because, of course, the theory behind carbon taxes, as anyone who follows it knows, is that the higher the price, the less you're going to buy of something, right? right? And the goal is, well, emissions are bad, so let's make things that create emissions, like burning fossil fuels, make that expensive, and that's a good thing, right? You think they would be cheering, you think they would be tweeting about it, posting on Facebook, saying, look, isn't this great? at how high all the gas prices are because it means people are going to drive less. And we have not heard very much from them on that front. And I think that's a little bit interesting. Um, It's almost as if they recognize how frustrated people get by high gas prices. And, you know, we we point to Vancouver because, as folks in the rest of Canada know, BC's had a carbon tax for a decade now. Sure. Uh, The federal government is trying to impose something similar across the rest of the country. Uh, and so I simply point to Vancouver for the, for the struggles that folks are going, uh, going through there. That could be coming soon to the rest of the country if uh, the carbon taxers get their way. Well, it's interesting, you know, the approach, the psychological approach. You've, you've very clearly identified it this morning, Aaron, because it worked so well with tobacco. Let's just crank the, the price of a deck of smokes up to the point where it's just stupid to continue buying them, and most people will stop. And as a matter of fact, it worked pretty well. So if it worked for tobacco, why shouldn't it work for oil and gas and, and those sorts of products? Uh, the big difference being no one has to smoke. We still have to drive our cars and get to work, in, especially from areas where they don't have public transit. Well, exactly. I mean, it is. we're talking about a necessity of life here. This is not an optional hobby. I mean, you talk about things like sin taxes, like tobacco, like alcohol. That can be frustrating, but those are not things that most of us need to do on a daily basis. Right. And as you say, uh, you know, things like uh, if you live in Vancouver or Toronto, I think a lot of people who live in those cities, the advocates sort of say, well, you know, you could switch to transit or you could bike or whatever. That doesn't apply to a lot of the rest of the country. And it's a very frustrating for people who say it's easy for you to say if you live in if you're a 20 something with no kids living in downtown Vancouver. I don't know how you afford that. Mm. But if you're a suburbanite and you've got kids to shuttle around, and you've got to commute to work, uh, the, the bills start to add up pretty fast. Absolutely, they do. Uh, I want to talk about the government spending that you are taking a great deal of uh, pain to identify in the wake of 
of this SNC-Lavalin scandal. But first, be a reporter for us this morning, Mr. Woodrick. You're joining us from the Ottawa area. And for the last uh, 48 hours or more, we here on the coast have been watching some pretty dramatic pictures of flooding in your region. So, Aaron, on a Saturday morning, uh, how is the situation today in Ottawa? Yeah, uh, they're they're projecting the floodwaters to rise. Uh, we had a serious flood here about two years ago, yep. Sterling, and it looks like we're going to go past that level. Um, so there is a lot of sandbagging going on. The armed forces are out. Um, it is a it is a pretty tense time here, close to the Ottawa River. But um, you know, it's not raining right now. We were supposed to get rain today, and I don't see it yet. So that's uh, at least one positive thing. Well, so I'm seeing today. here the rainfall warning has been lifted for your part of the country. So that would be very welcome news, I'm sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about another item that you have posted at taxpayer.com, the very fine website of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. This headline, the Trudeau government has announced $4.2 bucks in spending since the SNC-Lavalin scandal broke. They're trying to buy their way out of this uh, very uncomfortable situation. Well, yes. Uh, you know, we thought because this was such a big deal uh, that ate up basically two months of the news cycle here in Ottawa anyway, um, that there was a lot of announcements going on that people weren't paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is still money going out the door. It's also borrowed money, Sterling, because they were supposed to balance the budget this year. They promised that they didn't do that. They're running a $20 billion deficit. And so every announcement they're making is money that they're borrowing off the backs of our kids and grandkids. So we thought it would be a useful public service to tally all of those announcements up. Um, you've already said the figure. It's a, it's a substantial amount, billions of dollars. Well, it's the same, basically just, the same amount of money as they just dropped on the pipeline, which they're doing absolutely nothing with. So they basically doubled that bit of the national debt from four and a half to almost nine billion in the last year. And that's just on the one uh, one area. Well, and it's indicative of the way this government seems to do business. I mean, I think they really pulled the wool over the eyes of some people in the last election, pledging, you know, small deficits back to balance. We're going to be fiscally responsible. They just simply don't seem to care. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize that it's not because of a lack of revenue. In fact, last year, when we were in budget lockup in the spring, uh, there were billions in extra revenue that they were not counting on. And they spent that, too. So they found a way to spend money they weren't even counting on. It's almost as if they're going out of their way to run a deficit. Uh, uh, and I think that's going to upset quite a few people who thought they were voting for uh, a party that, like Paul Martin, who was a liberal uh, finance minister, was able to balance budgets regularly. It seems strange that this uh, this iteration of the liberals does not seem able to do it. Yeah, except they are still liberals, and they have learned over many decades of being in power, Aaron, that uh, Canadians have this devastating character flaw when it comes to the polling station. We, in many, many cases, tend to vote for the party that promises us the most goodies, even if it happens to be with our own, or worse still, borrowed money. We're kind of weak in that regard. Well, you know, and that's why our group is always there to try and recognize there's no such thing as a free lunch. You know, we recognize there are a lot of things we'd like to have. There are a lot of things that sound good on paper, but the piper must be paid, and it's your choice. You can either pay today or pay tomorrow. We're going through this in Ontario right now, Sterling. We had a government here, a liberal government, that just spent through the roof and sent our our provincial debt through the ceiling, Mm -hmm. and now there are some painful cuts. We warned for years that this was coming if we didn't get spending under control, Uh, and unfortunately, the reality is now we have to deal with it. Well, now we're talking about this morning this additional $4.2 billion in spending just since the SNC-Lavalin scandal broke, and this is an election year, Aaron, so given that they have this incredible tendency to dig deep into 
into the borrowing column and and try to buy more votes. How much more spending do you expect to be announced between now and October 19th Election Day? Oh, I think you're looking at double or triple that figure. I mean, I would be very surprised if we're not into the tens of billions. Uh, There are a few big ticket items I think we should watch out for, too. People are talking about, for example, a drug plan, a pharmacare plan. Yep. That could be be tens of billions of dollars if they are talking about the Cadillac version, uh, which they're going to, of course, pitch as free, but, of course, it's not free. So we're going to be watching that carefully. Um, You know, the last thing we want to see is a bidding war between the parties. We're hoping at least uh, some of the parties will come to the table with the recognition that there, there's a limited amount of money to spend and you can't just sort of throw caution to the wind and spend as if there's unlimited money in the kitty. Well, let's hope so that some cooler heads are at least involved in these uh, processes come mid-October. Aaron, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Stay dry and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much for having me, Sterling. It's a pleasure to welcome Duff Conacher back to the program. Mr. Conacher is the co-founder of Democracy Watch, a good friend of mine over the years. And Duff is uh, joining us from Ottawa again this morning to talk about a couple of things. Duff, good morning. Welcome back. Thank you very much, Sterling. Uh, two items on my uh, to talk to Duff about list this morning. The lobbying commissioner story that uh, you and I have discussed on these airwaves in the past. There is a resolution to that. And also Bill C-76, the election ad stuff. But let's talk about, uh, I mean, tip of the hat to you and Democracy Watch. You guys got this ball rolling a while ago. And for the benefit of those who are still catching up to you, Duff, let's go back to square one and talk about the lobbying commissioner and why you at Democracy Watch ended up versus that individual in federal court. Well, uh, what happened was someone, we don't know who, filed a complaint about the Aga Khan giving the gift of the Bahamas trip to Prime Minister Trudeau and his family. Right. And the uh, lobbying commissioner ruled on that secretly in September of 2017, just sent the letter back to the uh, complainant saying... No, no, the Aga Khan is not registered to lobby under the federal lobbying law, and so the gift was legal. And we found out about that ruling in December 2017 when that the, whoever filed the complaint let a CBC reporter know about it, because we had filed the complaint ourselves in December about the Aga Khan's gift. Right. And, uh, and then this person contacted the reporter and, and said, oh, there's already been a ruling on that. I filed the complaint and I received the ruling. Uh, So then we challenged the ruling, and the court essentially threw the book at the uh, lobbying commissioner. Karen Shepard said her ruling was unintelligible, narrow, technical, uh, uh, not transparent, and um, said essentially confirmed what we already knew about her, that during her 10 years as lobbying commissioner, she was a negligently weak lapdog who did everything she could to let people off the hook. Now, lapdog is your word, or did the judge actually use that in the ruling uh, on this particular trial? No, just called it an unintelligible right. okay. ruling based, now, based on the lobbying commissioner's mandate, which is to ensure transparent, ethical lobbying. Of course. Here, here she was excusing a secretive, unethical lobbying by the Aga Khan. Right. Whose foundation um, receives many millions of dollars from Canadian taxpayers year after year. That's the that's the catch. That's what got yeah, you crazy ten, in the first place, right? Tens of tens of millions of dollars, right? And uh, the judge also it was a triple win for for more transparent and more ethical lobbying. The judge also said the the whole standard that the lobbying commissioner has been using for people like the Aga Khan, who's a board member of his foundation, uh, is wrong. And board members should actually be registering. 
And lots of big businesses secretly use board members to do the whining and dining and gifting and help to politicians to buy influence. And uh, up until this ruling, the lobbying commissioner has allowed it all because she said board members do not have to register and disclose their lobbying. And as a result, they're not covered by the ethics rules that lobbyists have. Right. How convenient, huh? So this ruling closes a huge secretive uh, secret uh, unethical lobbying loophole that the lobbying commissioner created, right? She just made it up. Right. And uh, the judge said it has no basis in what the law says. The law board members should be registered, have to register, and also uh, have to uh, thereby follow the ethics rules. Unfortunately, uh, on Thursday, the federal liberals decided, and the lobbying commissioner together instructed the government lawyers to appeal this ruling. Really? Yes. So they're wasting taxpayers' money and the court's time, one, trying to protect the uh, family friend of the prime minister, the Aga Khan, right. from, account- for account- uh, from accountability for his secret unethical lobbying, and secondly, uh, trying to stop a good ruling that closed a huge loophole that allowed for secret unethical lobbying. So um, the, uh, the liberals are wasting taxpayers' time and, and the court's money uh, and the court's time as well. Uh, trying to defend this and, and attack this very good ruling that the uh, judge issued um, now a month ago. So where does it go next, Duff? I mean, this this ruling against the lobbying commissioner was from a federal court judge. If the feds are indeed going to appeal this, what's the next step? Is, is it the uh, Supreme Court? No, it goes to the federal court of appeal first. Right, got it. Okay. And um, hopefully it will move quickly through that. But... Uh, they have not applied for what's called a stay of the ruling. And so the ruling does, does apply. The, F, the lobbying commissioner, as of now, uh, has to reopen the investigation into the Aga Khan's gift and look at everyone at the Aga Khan's foundation and their role in him giving this uh, gift and, and lobbying in secret without registering it and disclosing it right. in the federal registry. And also the new standard where board members have to uh, now register as lobbyists and follow the ethics rules, that applies as well, unless the government applies for a stay. Right. If they apply for a stay, uh, the court may grant it. That's not automatic. We'll oppose it and say that this ruling should stay in effect and t- until the Federal Court of Appeal overturns it, if they do. And, we'll, of course, we'll be at the Federal Court of Appeal defending the ruling and uh, calling on the Federal Court of Appeal to uphold it, because it is a good ruling. It is based on the law. And it is based on the whole purpose of the law, which is transparent and ethical lobbying. And what the liberals are trying to do is keep the same old, same old politics as usual, secret unethical lobbying with gifts and stuff flowing to politicians from wealthy people and interest groups and businesses that can influence them. Right. So a good, I agree with you. It's good ruling and well done. Are you surprised even a little bit that they've decided to appeal this? I'm very surprised, actually. I think it will be very politically costly, and we're going to do as much as we can to keep it in the public eye. Um, they're protecting the f- self-declared family friend of Trudeau. Yeah. 
All right. Some accountability for secret and unethical lobbying, one of the worst things you can do as a lobbyist. Well, now, this this leads very nicely into the second half of my uh, reason for giving you a shout this morning. And uh, and clearly, you may factor into this. Bill, Bill C-76, the Elections Canada uh, l- uh, laws relating to third-party spending and that sort of thing. Uh, we got an election coming up in the middle of October this year. You just said you plan to interfere in that campaign as much as you can to bring certain facts to to bear in the minds of, of uh, the voters. Talk to, us, talk to us about Bill C-76 and what bugs you about it. Well, it's not going to stop secret, fake online election ads. It actually facilitates them because it guts the rule that prohibits people making false claims about candidates. And that's not just my opinion. The chief electoral officer, the head of Elections Canada, and the chief enforcement officer called the Commissioner of Canada Elections both testified before the House Committee and the Senate Committee, saying, you're gutting this rule, and you're essentially making it legal for people to make false claims about candidates. And then the third thing is that it more than doubles the amount that interest groups are allowed to spend on advertising. Uh And that's a bad idea. The limits were upheld by the Supreme Court of Canada back in 2004. The limit in the last in a regular election is about $200,000, and the Liberals have increased it to just over $500,000. And so that what we're going to see is our federal election, unless the Liberals reverse these, these bad changes that Bill C-76 made, our federal election is going to be very much like the U.S. presidential election. More money, more big money interest groups, more advertising, uh, driving their agenda, and more false claims, because they're effectively legal now, about candidates. Right. You know, and, 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 and the thing that always drives Canadians crazy the most about American election system is he or she with the most money wins. Full stop. Yeah. That's it. That's the whole U.S. electoral system. And if anything, we are determined never to let that happen up here. And gosh, we're kind of leaning awfully heavily in that direction, aren't we? We are. And, and they, the Liberals dared to call this Bill C-76 the Election Modernization Act. It doesn't modernize things. It moves things backwards in three big ways, and it does not do enough to stop secret, fake online election ads. They're letting their friends, and they have a lot of friends, who work at the social media companies, Facebook and Google. There's people who have come from Google into the liberal government. There's liberals, who, uh, the head lobbyist for Facebook, right. uh, worked for Michael Ignatiev when he was liberal leader. There's people at Twitter and people from Twitter in the liberal government and people uh, at Twitter who are from the liberals. And they're letting all these friends of theirs off the hook, and they keep talking about it. You see Karina Gould, uh, uh, Duff, she's blowing smoke again and again. She's yeah. saying, you know, we have to, we're, we're concerned, and we're, they're, they're not even have, they don't even have time to pass a bill now between now and the end of June. They take a week off for uh, the long weekend in May, and uh, they don't necessarily sit beyond, beyond mid-June, and they're saying, we're going to do more, we're going to do more. It's too late, and the social media companies know that. Nothing's going to be done until a government is up and running again, which won't happen until next December. And the election's going to happen in the meantime. The Liberals, everyone should blame the Liberals when they see our uh, election be more like the U.S. 2016 presidential election, full of lies 
and full of ads from big money interests trying to drive their agenda and buy off politicians. Got to leave it there, Duff. Thank you. It's a bit of spooky uh, last message there, but it's uh, our money too, and we appreciate this. We'll talk well before the middle of October again. Thanks for this this morning. Always a pleasure. Thank thank you. I will keep you updated. A pleasure to welcome Yuri Fulmer to the program this morning. Mr. Fulmer is the co-founder of Goodly Foods here in Vancouver. Yuri Fulmer, good morning. Welcome to the show. Morning, Sterling. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome you on board today. My colleague, whom I'm filling in for because she's away, Jill Bennett, wrote a nice piece, a nice story for you for the folks over at Global News last month about your community, uh, your company, rather, Goodly Foods, giving back to the community, and Yuri, in the form, this case, of soup. Tell us the story, please. It's a great story. Sure, thank you, and uh, we certainly appreciate Jill's uh, support of this. Uh, Goodly came out of uh, a meeting that I had a few years ago with uh, the Greater Vancouver Food Bank, who said they came across a lot of produce that was uh, uh, donated to them that wasn't perhaps uh, ready for retail sales. So think about tomatoes that are too red or not red enough, Mm -hmm. or too big or too small or not round enough. Uh, And they had a ton of these tomatoes that they didn't have the opportunity to, to get out to their clients fast enough. And they said, wouldn't it be great if we could turn this produce into a product that we could actually you know, hold, store, and then distribute? And that was the birth of Goodly. So what Goodly does is takes produce from all sorts of uh, donors around, so whether it's from supermarkets or distributors or farmers, produce that wouldn't otherwise be uh, appropriate for retail sale. We take that produce and using folks who have barriers to traditional employment. So they may be people who have addiction issues or mental health issues or uh, have lived in poverty or have been out of the workforce for a long period of time. And we make that produce into a finished product. So think tomatoes into tomato soup or, uh, 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 you know, uh, vegetables into vegetable stews. Ah, okay. Uh, so I guess the, the the initial challenge then, Yuri, would have been to establish that network of suppliers. Now, you mentioned that the food waste, of course, is a concern. It always is. And we Canadians, not just BC people, we Canadians waste a, a stunning amount of food on an annual basis. So you found suppliers locally who were interested in not wasting food and being a little more positive and productive with the stuff they couldn't sell. Absolutely, still. And when we entered into this project, we didn't know how much was out there. So we wondered if there'd be enough supply to, to have a year-round uh, venture. Sure. Uh, there's absolutely more than we ever dreamed is available. Uh, and that's everywhere. It comes right from the supermarket shelves, right back to farmers in the fields, the trucking companies that move it between them, the distributors and wholesalers. Uh, there's surplus produce everywhere. And it's because we're fussy as consumers. As consumers, we want to go to the supermarket and pick up a tomato and put it back down and say, that one's just not red enough for me to take home today. That's right. Uh, and that means that there's uh, food that's absolutely safe for human consumption that still forms a delicious soup or stew. Uh, but uh, we're able to obtain it, thank, and we're super grateful to, to the distributors and supermarkets who are donating it to us. Super grateful to them for their generosity, but it also takes food. This food would hit the landfill sure. uh, and be absolutely wasted. So mm-hmm. we're, we're super grateful that we're able to turn it into a product. And it sounds, by the sounds of things, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of serious arm twisting required to get people on side with this initiative. It's been amazing, Sterling. The, the, the amount of people from branding experts uh, to accounting to legal who've donated their time to this. I and mean, this is a, a social venture, so nobody's making any money here. The idea is that half of the soup would be sold uh, at retail stores for full price, 
uh, to folks like us who uh, want to support a social venture. Mm-hmm. And the other half of the uh, product will be donated. So it will go to food bank recipients. It may go to community kitchens and may go to neighborhood houses. So uh, the, the goal is that both we create employment for people who would have barriers to employment and may struggle to find regular employment and help them back into the workforce, as well as providing nutritious meals for people who may be in need of those. And uh, Yuri, how many people have you employed so far as this project gets up and running? How many people have jobs that perhaps would not be working under any other conditions? Today we've got a team of six. We're at the early stages. Uh, We've just landed our first commercial customer. Thank you to UBC for uh, being uh, our first commercial customer to purchase the soup at full price, and that enables uh, a lot of folks to uh, receive soup for free. But uh, six great, uh, they're all gentlemen uh, today, six great gentlemen are working uh, away uh, at South uh, East Marine and Laurel, uh, producing uh, what is a delicious soup. And uh, the recipe was created with local celebrity chef Karen Barnaby, and we're grateful to her. Uh, it's a terrific, hearty soup, just like uh, your mom or your grandma might have made. Now, would uh, we find this in our supermarkets, Yuri, or is this uh, the distribution network just starting to catch on? It's just starting, Sterling. So do, you know, I hope uh, all your listeners will keep an eye out at their stores. We're approaching uh, all of the local supermarket chains, uh, asking them to stock it. They've all been very interested. I mean, it's a bit of a circle of life for them too, right? It's uh, produce that... that uh, might have at one point been on their shelves or been destined for their shelves right. that now can get there uh, so that people can buy it. So I'd say uh, if anybody's interested, uh, our website is hellogoodly.ca. Uh, can sign up for our newsletter, and as soon as we're on retail shelves, we'll let you know so that uh, you can support that social venture and enable some uh, some great folks to get employment that they might not otherwise have had. Well, that's great news. We'll look forward to that notification. And do keep us in touch, Yuri. Jill, of course, is here more than I am. But between the two of us, we'd love to keep uh, keep on this story and, and let our listeners know how they too can participate in all of this. Tell us about the $1 million investment from the Walmart Foundation. That obviously has made a lot of things possible here. Oh, this was fabulous. And, uh, you know, as we were trying to scale this up, obviously uh, scaling up any sort of commercial food production enterprise is costly. Uh, you know, it involves equipment and it involves research and food safety and all sorts of things Absolutely, like that. Absolutely, yeah. And we were blessed that just at the moment where we were trying to scale up, the Walmart Foundation made a call for a grant. Uh, and we were the recipient of a $1.1 million grant from the Walmart Foundation. So uh, their generosity, uh, and then, you know, obviously they're a major retailer across the country, their generosity in supporting issues around food waste and supporting Goodly. Uh, we, we literally could not have done this without the Walmart Foundation. So Interesting stuff. Almost out of time, Yuri, but uh, just a very quick uh, follow-up. How, uh, how enthusiastically is this, pro- this project being viewed by other cities across Canada? And, and, and you're getting inquiries from other people going, how can we do it? Give us your, your MO here so we can reproduce it. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, you know, we, we, uh, it's early days yet, but uh, Goodly Toronto is uh, our next step. Uh, Good for you. Know, obviously, we have to find markets where there's uh, ample availability of uh, uh, repurposed produce for us. Uh, so our next step will be Toronto, and we're having some amazing conversations with folks out there who are looking to support the venture. And we've had inbound calls from uh, smaller communities across Canada who've said, how could we replicate something like this here, perhaps on a smaller scale? So Excellent. We're here to support anybody who wants to uh, create uh, employment for folks with barriers and uh, repurpose some food. Online at hellogoodly.com or .ca? .ca. Excellent. Yuri, thanks for this. Very, very great to talk to you. We wish you considerable success. Thanks, darling. Have a great weekend.